Uh, our text today is from Second Corinthians chapter 12, and I don't have the text directly in front of me, but that's okay. Is there a slide of it? The slide is there in front of you. This is the exact same reading that we had last week, verses 6 through 10 of Second Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul talks about these incredible visions that he receives and then this thorn in the flesh that he had, this tormentor from Satan that kept him humble, to which Christ came to him and said, My grace is sufficient for you. And my strength is made perfect in your weakness. If in the wisdom and in the providence of God, there is actually reincarnation before the final resurrection. In my next life, I want to come back as one of Cindy McBrayer's dogs. No creatures in all of the universe are more loved than the canines that belong to her. The current recipients of her affection are Mo and Toby, of course, and I think there is a slide. They are regularly groomed and hand-fed like ancient kings. God only knows how much money is spent on their pampering and their well-being, if only I were so lucky to be a pet under her tender care. Cindy grew up having dogs uh, as pets, big dogs labs and retrievers and when we married i had two youngsters already so we didn't have pets right away our hands were full thank you very much we ended up with a few cats over the years and they were beloved as well but they were cats and cats are their own thing those of you that are cat lovers the character that opened cindy's heart of undying affection for little dogs was a rescue dog named jack jack was the one But we only had him for a little while. Jack became suddenly ill with what we thought was a cold. And we carried him to the veterinarian where he was diagnosed with blastomycosis. Blastomycosis is this nasty, rare, dangerous infection of the lungs. And sweet Jack's case proved lethal. We were living in L.A.J., Georgia at the time. And never will I forget Cindy and me carefully laying sweet, Jack to rest at the edge of the woods in the backyard, splitting a six-pack between us and crying while the boys were at school. In grief, I asked the vet if there was anything we could have done differently or more quickly, as Jack was apparently healthy one day and gone within 48 hours. The doctor's answer all those years ago has never left me, and he said this, Our pets are still wild animals. They will hide their weaknesses because in the wild, weakness means death. The terrible irony, of course, is that by concealing such weaknesses, death is guaranteed. And the intervention that would bring life and healing arrives too late. We humans do the same. We have been conditioned to survive And so we employ all this copious camouflaging technique to hide our shortcomings and to hide our weaknesses, our limitations. These go unacknowledged, unaccepted, and they are masked by bravado and addiction and whatever else crafted that we can, whatever facade that we can come up with. And Carl Jung called these our internal invisible toxins. 
that will only continue to percolate and kill us from within until we face them and honestly accept them. It is only then that what once threatened us can be healed. It is then that our weaknesses become a pathway to a new, liberated, healed way of living. These are the thoughts I began last Sunday, though the example I opened with was not Dear Sweet Jack, but with the fictional character Old Dan Tucker and the Greek hero Achilles. What did these two characters have in common? They both died because of a weak place, a toothache in the heel in the first case, and an arrow from Paris's bow in the latter. It was that one tiny spot a vulnerability that was their undoing. And we all have such places. We have that part of our life that is susceptible. We have that place where we are unprotected, where we suffer. It is the place of our sorrow and of our pain. It can be the past, our health and addiction, a dysfunctional relationship, your mental health. As I said last week, humans suffer in thousands of different ways. And usually the suffering is in fact treated like some sort of blastomycosis of the soul. We hide it, we suppress it, we ignore it, or we are angered by it, we rail against it, we blame God or someone else for it. But again, the path forward is acceptance. It is honesty. It is welcoming the weakness as the means of accepting a greater gift. That difficult past that you regret, that health problem you cannot escape, that addiction that you cannot overcome, that person that you will never be able to fix, these are what Paul called thorns in the flesh. They are inescapable situations of suffering. We have a little ring over here to my left. Thanks. They're inescapable situations of suffering that we will never be able to be rid of. And Paul, in this thorn in the flesh, chose to be honest about his condition. He chose a place of dependence. He quit blaming God or the universe or whoever. He saw that the condition he had and the hand that he had been dealt was nothing short of an evil torment, satanic even. But he had no choice but to live out of that weakness to play that hand and allow the grace of God to become his strength. And that's where I left you last week. Hanging, I know. How do we do this? How do we welcome our weaknesses instead of resisting them? How do we let grace, God's grace, become our sufficient strength? Well, we have to go right to the places that bring us pain. Right to those. And pull up a chair and make friends with the very things that have hurt us. Well, that sounds like therapy to me, not preaching. Well, good preaching is therapy. And I have never met an adult in North America that didn't need good therapy. There's not an adult alive that couldn't stand a few sessions with a therapist. I am not a therapist. I'm just a guy that tells stories and sings songs. But the story I'm telling you today is the story of all of us. 
We will waste away frail and sick without the admission of our illnesses, without looking squarely at what is afflicting us and making some sort of peace with it. So your thorn in the flesh, your Achilles heel, if it's your past, you have to go to that time and place. You go to that horrific decision that you made, that regrettable action that you took. And you stop trying to make it go away because it won't. And you stop trying to numb or medicate it because you can't. You stop, stop acting like it didn't happen because it did. And for God's sakes, stop punishing yourself for the thing that you yourself would now never do again. And that is where grace begins to break through in your life. A new strength is blooming even though you have to go through the process of pain to get there. Sit with your poor health. Sit with that devastating health diagnosis. Sit with your divorce, your estranged relationship, your loneliness. Feel it. Admit it. Mourn it. Shout at God about it, and something remarkable begins to happen. I'm telling you this, that kind of raw, look-right-in-the-face honesty opens up a grace-filled, God-sustaining path to a better, healthier future. That is the truth. When I entered church ministry as a young man, I wanted nothing more than to succeed. And I had my idea of what that would mean. And initially, I did succeed. I led one of the largest congregations in my area. I was appointed to a leadership position at the denomination state office. And I began eyeing the opportunities that were coming my way at the national level. And a monkey wrench got thrown into my opportunities. A monkey wrench got thrown into the machinery when my wife had an affair. We entered into a little counseling. We bought a house. We adopted children because that's what you're supposed to do, I guess, when everything's going wrong. The church where I pastored continued to expand, and we soldiered on, but we never dealt with the root of the problem. And when it happened again, and it became very public, our divorce followed. And here is what I learned. People really enjoy having someone to blame. And she was an easy target. Easily playing the role of this wayward wife, abandoning her children for some salacious affair and leaving the poor Baptist preacher behind. It was perfect gossip for the beauty parlors and the barber shops of my little town. And it was perfect for me. Do you know why it was perfect for me? Because my injured pride took great solace in being the righteous one. I had kept my vows. I had done the right thing. I was the one who had been granted sole custody of the children. I was the one who kept his promises. And so when I returned to counseling sometimes later because I was a mess, nursing my wounds and grinding my acts of righteousness, the focus was always on her and what she had done and how she had failed. And my counselor, a man who was just the epitome of wisdom and of grace and understanding, he gave me weeks and weeks of just banging on about this, 
about how badly I'd been mistreated. And then gently, with all the love in the world, he asked me a question. Ronnie, why do you think you're being such a poor steward of the pain that you have been gifted with? And my mouth fell open. When I could regain my composure, I snapped to my feet and I looked at him and said, you don't know a damn thing about me. And I got my happy ass up and went out the door. (laughs) That man had done me the greatest favor that's ever been given to me in my life. He put his finger right on the sorest spot of my soul. I was wearing my pain like a medal. I was wearing the injustice of it all, playing the role of a victim. I was banging on about what had been done to me, and I was ignoring an opportunity to literally be reborn and to change. And if I kept it up, I would indeed be a poor steward of that pain. And what was that deep pain? The loss of the marriage? No. Thank God that that the cycle of unfaithfulness and suspicion and anxiety was finally over. Was it the pain of being a single parent? No. The deepest hurt inflicted was my ego. My ambition, because if you came from my particular tradition and denomination, divorce was the death nail for a career advancement. It was over. I was a failure. I was forever marked, this thorn in the flesh sticking out like some scarlet letter being worn on my lapel. But when it was all over, it was also my liberation. How else would I ever recognize that my vocation wasn't so much about some divine calling as it was about my desperate ego? How else could I break free from my formative religion, religion that was no longer grounding me but entrapping me? If not for the loss of status and some marginalization that I felt, slight as it seems all these years later, and nothing compared to how others have been rejected by the church, I would have never broken free to live a different life. I would have remained where I was, how I was, and who I was. Now that's my story, but it's not unique. Not in the least, because it's your story too. You have stories. They are legion. A failed business, a stupid family member, time spent behind bars, bankruptcy, infertility, cancer, losing a home to fire or to storm or to foreclosure, disability, the death of a spouse, the death of a child, the death of an irreplaceable relationship. Sometimes suffering is self-inflicted. At other times, it's random and inexplicable and senseless. It can be a private hell. It can be a public fiasco. And you will never be without those who will come to you at those times and try to explain it and affix blame for it or try to rescue you from it. And most of these efforts are well intended because comfort and solidarity in a time of crisis is a godsend. But there will always be those co-conspirators 
who will try to help you avoid the pain. And in such cases, that is not the kind of help that we need. We need those who will help us face the pain, to learn from it, and to let it do the work of stripping away our defenses, emptying our souls, and wresting the illusion of control from our white-knuckled hands. So you go to where the pain is and you let it teach you. You allow yourself to be deconstructed by it, blown absolutely to hell by it, so that something real and honest and authentic and beautiful can be built in its place. That is God's sufficiency working itself out in place of your own. And how do you know? How do you know? That grace has finally arrived in your life and you are living in God's grace. When? When your life becomes the story you could have never anticipated and it is being written in a way that you would have never written it. But you can only be thankful in the end with no one to blame. Grace has finally arrived when you get to that point. But it'll never come if you continue to refuse your pain, if you continue to disallow suffering to be your teacher. It's what the poet Robert Browning Hamilton wrote. I walked a mile with pleasure She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and never a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Dr. James Finley says it like this, We must have a willingness to open our hearts to the aching, That is what transforms us. As all within us dissolves to be filled with the love and presence of God. When we are left empty and exhausted so that we have nowhere else to turn, it is then that the healing grace of heaven comes to us. Here is where I would usually make it very personal. Can we shut that door? Here is where I would usually make it very personal for you, the individual listener. But I want to paint with a broader brush as I finish today. This week has left me empty and exhausted. And I feel that as a country, as a world, we stand in need of God's healing grace like no other time in my life. This moment is more dangerous than the aftermath of September 11th or the fall of the Soviet Union or anything I have ever witnessed in my nearly 50 years. A hundred thousand people are dead in this country from a pandemic. A pandemic that is not over. Dozens of American cities burning in the night. 
black men unjustly killed in the streets. Good police officers placed at risk because of the dereliction of duty by a few. Violence everywhere. In those days of saying, well, at least it's not as bad as it was in the 1960s, that phrase has reached its expiration date. What can be done to heal our land? The only answer I have is this text today. Because this is a place to begin. Our national and historic thorn in the flesh, the unique original sin of America, is slavery and the perpetual division of this country along racial lines. We have centuries of which to repent. We have more injustice to revisit and to atone for than all that is currently filling the Library of Congress. We still have left unanswered the holy question of Genesis 4, where violence first entered into society. The Lord asked, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out from the ground. And by we, I mean me. White, middle class, Christian who by being born in that condition was given a head start on most of the world. We, brothers and sisters, are going to have to sit with this pain and let it teach us some things. Well, I just wish this would all be over with. You can't avoid this pain. It's been centuries in the making and decades in the kindling. Well, I didn't do this. This started hundreds of years ago by people that I haven't been alive to see that. You're exactly right. But you have you taken the time to spend just a few hours with those people who have suffered for centuries and hear their stories and hear their pain? Well, they are burning down city blocks. They're burning them down in protest. Well, my ancestors burned down this entire country one time in order to keep their ancestors in chains. Well, if they would do what was right, none of this would happen. The same can be said to some police departments. And when we make, as JFK said, peaceful protest impossible, violent revolution becomes inevitable. All of these defenses, all of these opinions, all of these justifications for and against, they are all distractions. They prevent us from reaching that place of holy, God-given exhaustion where we finally say, Lord, this can't go on. Lord, we are broken. And the way that it is and the way that it has been cannot be how it is going to be. I condemn all violence. And I am not condoning or excusing what is happening in our streets, but I am begging us, I am begging you to try and understand. Don't let your first reaction be defensive. Don't let your first reaction be loading your gun. Don't let your first reaction be, well, we need to get back to the status quo. Those days are over. This country is a tinderbox. 
It is littered with the underbrush of a million injustices and fueled by grievance, all while millions, the majority who are of people of color, are now unemployed due to this pandemic with nothing but time and frustration and anger on their hands. We do not have the option of ignoring the fire that is already burning. We are going to have to sit down with it. Feel it. Scorch our skin. Get the smoke of it in our eyes. Have it singe us because that is the only way to keep that fire from burning everything down. I have to do this for my healing. I have to do this for the healing of a protester somewhere in a major city. I have to do this for my white sons. And I have to do this for my African-American son. We all have to do this if there is going to be a future for the land that we love. It will be only in the sweat and tears of the struggle and facing the mighty ugliness of our collective wounds and wounding in naming and turning from our bigotry and our systematic prejudice, in admitting that we are pierced through our souls with a thorn in the flesh that we can no longer mitigate, manage, or ignore, that is the only way that the sustaining grace of God can fill in these broken places. And we need it now, more than ever. And we cannot wait for others to start doing what they should be doing. And we can't wait for others to start doing the changing and the listening and the understanding. It has to begin with us. It begins with the church. It begins with those who follow Jesus. It begins with me. It begins with you. God's grace will be all sufficient in our collective weakness if we are willing. And I hope to heaven we are up to this moment. Because the moment is now.